From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. I want people to feel very at home in the kitchen because that's how they should feel. And nothing, I never want anyone to be intimidated or feel like one of my recipes is out of reach. That's the whole part of cooking. Like, who cares if you mess it up? Like, it's not the end of the world. You can always order pizza and then try it again the next day. Hi there, you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. I'm your host, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and welcome back. It's summer at Salt and Spine, and we have four great episodes featuring cookbook authors coming to you in August. And what's more summery than the things our first guest is known for? Think guacamole, salads, grilling, and cocktails. That's right, you just heard from Gabby Dalkin. She's the force behind What's Gabby Cooking, a popular food blog and now a California-inspired cookbook. Gabby was a private chef who has become a food blogger and today commands a sizable following uh, with her captivating social media presence, which we love, and her simple but enticing recipes. Now, if you're not a follower of hers, you might have stumbled onto one of Gabby's internet-famous recipes, uh, like her guacamole, for instance, or her uber-popular slutty brownies. It combines cookie dough, Oreos, and brownies into this one super decadent, delicious dessert. Now, today, the blog What's Gabby Cooking boasts more than 1,100 recipes, and the cookbook is packed with 125, most of them new. Some of our favorites, like the pulled pork pizza with cabbage slaw, or a chicken lard bowl with coconut rice. Now, this week, we talked with Gabby about her recipes, her path from a super picky eater to who she is today, and the transition from food blogger to cookbook author. Of course, we sat down with Gabby at San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen to talk cookbooks. Hi, Gabby. Thanks so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. How are you today? I am full. I just ate a lot of food. (laughs) Yeah? Some good Bay Area eats? Well, yeah. I'm staying at the Palace, so I had Uh tea at the Palace because Mm -hmm. I... I'm not a fancy lady, but I wanted to pretend to be a fancy lady for a hot second, and I ate a lot. <laughs> I feel like you're a fancy lady. I feel like your followers, your fans out there would disagree. You're a really? fancy lady. I think I, I don't think I'm, well, it depends how you describe fancy. Maybe glamorous. I mean, I wear you live a pretty glamorous life. leggings every day of my life. Like the last <laughs> time I put on a pair of heels was probably in 2007. <laughs> well, you're building your own definition yeah, of fancy that's then, fair. which I appreciate. Fair. <laughs> so your your new book is What's Gabby Cooking? Everyday California Food, named after your website, yes. your blog, your food blog. Can you tell us a little bit about the concept behind what you're doing with your brand, What's Gabby Cooking? Yeah. It started as a food blog, yeah? yeah. Yeah, it started as a food blog just on a whim while I was in culinary school. Like uh-huh. I had no intention of turning it into a job. Like it was truly a place for me to just brag to my friends that I learned how to eat and cook fish. That right. was a big deal for me. <laughs> I went to culinary school. I got a job as a private chef and I did wet scabby cooking very much as a hobby for the first four years. And then about four and a half years ago, um, I was writing my first cookbook and I was like, if I'm going to make a go of this, I'm going to, I need to walk away from private chefing mm-hmm. and try. Like, let's, if I, and if I fail, I fail, but at least I tried and I didn't. So it worked. And I've been really focused in like being business savvy for what's got to be cooking for the past four and a half years. Um, and what's got to be cooking is all about living the California girl life, no matter where you are. And you can be in North Dakota, you can be in New York, you can be in California. Like it really doesn't matter. It's kind of just a mentality and state of mind 
eating everything in balance, eating lots of fruits and vegetables and color, stuff like that. Yeah. So anybody can live the California girl lifestyle, you write in the book. But yeah. are, are there specific things? You said a lot of fruit and vegetables, but what else sort of embodies the California style of cooking for you? I think a lot of people think about California cooking as being unattainable. Like I have to buy expensive organic yeah, ingredients. Within five and like, miles of where I live. Exactly. Yeah, but no. that that's not the vibe folks no. get from your your book no, and your blog. For me, what's gotta be cooked my my brand is very much being is about being approachable. Nothing mm-hmm. in the book is unattainable. Nothing's gonna take you hours to make. It's all really easy. And I really kind of try and demystify cooking whether it's in my book or on my blog or on Insta Live, whatever it is, I want people to feel very at home in the kitchen because that's how they should feel. And nothing, I never want anyone to be intimidated or feel like one of my recipes is out of reach. So I I just won't write those kinds of recipes. Yeah. Now we're a show on cookbooks. So I want to talk more specifically about your cookbook in a bit. But first, I want to go back um, and talk about your sort of path to where you are today. So you grew up, you know, a pretty picky eater, right? Like a lot of buttered noodles. I ate buttered noodles and grilled cheese until I was 17 years old. And that is not an exaggeration. (laughs) I was just one carb. Like, (laughs) just a (laughs) carb. Right. So, yeah. So when did that when did that change for you? Are you 17? So, yeah. So I was in my senior year of high school. I tried steak for the first time at one of my girlfriend's house. Her dad okay. like barbecued for us after graduation. And I was like, holy, like, this is <laughs> so good. Yeah. I can't believe I've been missing this. My mom's a vegetarian. So okay. like, that's why we didn't eat a lot of meat and fish growing up. Um, and then I stayed pretty picky throughout college, but I gained 20 pounds in college really quickly because I would just eat at the cafeteria for like 12 meals a day because right. that's where you're social and like sure. meeting people. And I was like, that's not a cute look on me. I should probably start cooking for myself. And so I, I did. I taught myself how to cook. I was watching the Food Network at the time and I would just cook for myself and the girls on my tennis team. And, you know, I just got into food that way. And then after college, I got a job in the fashion industry down in LA okay. and the company folded six months later. And instead of going to find another job, I was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to culinary school. Yeah. Like I had no intention of making it a career. I just wanted to know how to cook better for myself, my friends, my boyfriend, who's now my husband. I just wanted to be able to entertain. It was really important right. to me. It's kind of fascinating that you went from being a 17 year old who'd never had a steak and only ate buttered noodles and grilled cheese to like I'm an alien teaching yourself to cook, going to culinary school and having this like wild. My mom doesn't blog. know where I came from. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm totally not part of the family. <laughs> yeah, as part of the concept with your blog and now your cookbook, like bringing other folks along on that same journey with you, right? Like I see some recipes in the cookbook, like grilled octopus tacos, which yeah. I think for a lot of folks is like a pretty so jarring thing. Yeah. yeah. Is that something you think about? Like, how can you help other people who may be sort of similar to you in some ways of not knowing a lot of foods and tastes or trying a lot of things, bringing them through that process too? And I'll be honest, when I was developing the octopus tacos recipes, the first time I bought octopus, I was petrified. But my husband was like, just do it. Like you order octopus everywhere you go. I know a lot of my readers and followers do that as well. And I was so nervous. I remember like sweating in the kitchen being like, oh my God, what if I mess this up? And you know, who? that's the whole part of cooking. Like who cares if you mess it up? Like it's not the end of the world. You can always order pizza and then try again the next day. And cooking octopus is actually really easy. You just have to wrap your mind around what you're doing and then go for it. So why focus on California for your for this cookbook, which is your second cookbook? Yeah. So I, for a long time for What's Gobby Cooking, I couldn't really tell you what 
what scabby cooking stood for. Mm-hmm. I knew I liked, you know, very vibrant recipes that were, were colorful. And I lived in LA and I spent a lot of time riding my bike and going to the farmer's market and the beach. And, but I couldn't put that into a really succinct sentence for anyone when a brand or someone was asking me what I stood for. Yeah. Um, and I hired someone who has actually become my mentor. Her name's Lori Buckle. She's the most incredible person I know in the food world. And we sat down and I basically word vomited to her for a couple of weeks and we were trying to really figure out what my brand was. And she's like, this, obviously you're like the California girl. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like that makes <laughs> so much sense. I can't believe I didn't think about that before. And so uh, I really focused What's Gobby Cooking, the blog on being the California girl. And that's when I started developing a really big following. Yeah. And I think I think in order to have a blog or a book in today's world, like it's such a crowded marketplace, you have to stand for something and it has to be authentic. So once I figured out that I was this everyday California girl, like just girl next door, everything in my life kind of fell into place and everything became a part of that. I also noticed you do a lot of platters. You mm-hmm. do a lot of like big cheese platters, yes. appetizer platters. You do a lot of outdoor cooking, outdoor grilling. And, and you also have like a really nice balance of healthy salads, lighter dishes with like pretty decadent desserts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like there's quite a range of recipes that mm-hmm. folks see on your blog and, and even in this cookbook yeah. um, that you can really get a little bit of everything. Is that something you think about too, like the holistic picture? Yeah. And it's just how I eat. Yeah. Like I had this like gigantic panini with tea and pastries for lunch today. Like I'll go have a salad at souvla or something for dinner and keep it light. Right. I just think for me, that's who I am. That's who the California girl is. No matter where they live, it's everything's in balance. I'm, I do really poorly when I restrict myself. Once I tried to do whole 30 and I made it 17 hours. Yeah. Like I'm not about restricting myself. And so you won't find any, there aren't any restrictions in the book. It's all about keeping it in balance. Yeah. I did Whole30 this year. The Whole30? The Whole30 You did days. all 30? Yeah. How my whole family feel? was going to do it. And uh, my sister called me like four days in. And she's like, I ate four sugar cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom called me like two weeks in. And she's like, I am not doing it anymore. <laughs> um, but my wife and I made it through. And I don't know. It was hard. That's amazing. It was hard. We did it. My husband and I and another couple, we all started on the same day. They all did Whole30. Yeah. And I like to say I did Whole2. Yeah. Well, you got two good ones in then. I thought so. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't even two days. It was two meals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. So obviously you're, you're mostly cooking for home. You're mostly presenting recipes for home cooks. You talk mm-hmm. about being sort of the everyday girl next door, California cook. Yep. But at the same time, you're a chef. You yeah. went to culinary school. You worked as a private chef. How, how has that background influenced your process? of creating recipes, coming up with these, developing Yeah. Well, I would say that I'm really comfortable developing recipes now. Like being in someone's home, you know, six to eight hours a day and cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner for them. I, like when I'm not developing recipes for the book, I could cook, you could throw me in a kitchen and I would cook, cook anything with anything in front of me. Like it's just, I remember I used to go to one of my clients' house, like, be prepared to cook for four and then 47 people would come over for a game and I'd have to make something out of nothing. So like it made me really comfortable adapting things in the kitchen and just like making it work. You don't really have an option to freak out when you're cooking in someone's home. You don't have anyone to go to the store for you. So you just like, you just have to do it. And I think that's, and it's also really influenced how I entertain. Like I cooked for two really incredible families who threw these awesome parties that were like big and fancy, but never felt unattainable. They felt Mm -hmm. really like at home. And I think that seeped its way into how I cook today. How was the book different than what you do on your blog? 
Yeah, I think the book is probably more well-rounded than the blog. Uh-huh. Uh, the blog is very dinner and appetizer focused because I think people on a day-to-day basis are looking for how to get we have dinner on the table and then how to entertain on the weekends. Right. This has a lot more, like the side dishes and the salads and the desserts. Like I feel like those are really strong points in this book. There's a whole section on bowls. Um, yeah. Because I love eating out of a bowl. Yeah. Like it's just everything, everything should be eaten out of bowls. It's right. just better. Well, you say it's actually tastes better. It does because yeah. you can sit on the couch and watch TV and eat it out of a bowl. Right. You can't sit on the couch and watch TV and eat off a plate. Right. Like it gets messier. Yeah. You can. <laughs> you can, but it's not, it's not as cute. Yeah. So um, I just think the book is like a very well-rounded picture of what my life looks like in the food world. Mm-hmm. And the blog is also, but it's more dinner focused usually. Yeah. What's your recipe testing process like? Yeah. So every recipe in the book and the blog gets tested four to five times by me before it goes. So we have a team. Matt and Adam are two of my best friends. Uh-huh. Matt's a photographer. Yep. Adam's a food stylist. Um, and they shoot everything for what's gotta be cooking, whether it's the blog, the book, social media, whatever. So I test everything four to five times before it gets to Adam. And then we test it a final time in the studio while we're shooting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if there's any little tweaks that need to be done, I'll do those one more time at home. But you know, while I'm doing those four to five iterations of each recipe, it probably takes like two weeks to get through all of those. I don't do them all in one day. I'll do like one on a Monday and then like not think about it again until Thursday. So I have time to kind of clear my palate and my head. And if I, you know, made a mistake writing it, I have time to see that again. Right. So it's long. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Long but thorough. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, the worst thing I could ever imagine is someone taking a recipe from my blog or my book and going and spending 20 or $30 in ingredients and it not working. And like, I think that's actually a, a real problem in, in the food blogging world. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I think there are, there are bloggers like you, there are bloggers like Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. There mm-hmm. are bloggers who I think folks have come to really respect because you know, the recipes work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is a real concern when you're looking for a recipe like in the portals of Pinterest, Absolutely. like, is it going to work? Yeah, all those Pinterest fails, like, those yeah, are real. They like, are. that sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the woman trying to make my daughter a birthday cake that looked like Elmo, and then it just turned out to be, like, a volcano or something. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> right. So where do you find inspiration for some of your recipes, be it the blog or your newest cookbook? Um, you actually talk in the cookbook uh, at one point about crowdsourcing recipes. You mm-hmm. talk about these chimichurri mussels Mm -hmm. and using Snapchat? So Snapchat was huge for us for a really long time. And then they got that new algorithm or their new update and they just like shot themselves in the foot. But for a while... I had a, pr- I mean, I still do. I just don't use it as much. I had a pretty incredible following on Snapchat mm-hmm. and it's immediate. Like I could be at the grocery store. I was at the Santa Monica seafood and I was like, do you want, do you want mussels or, or clams? Period. Like, which one do you prefer? And it like overwhelmingly everyone said mussels. And I was like, okay, I was going to go for clams, but yeah. I'm, now we're going to do mussels because yeah. that's what everybody wants. Democracy. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, and, and then like everyone, when they see that recipe, and they were the ones who voted on that. They're, they feel, you know, so close to that. That's yeah. so cool to get everyone involved in a in a more than a split second decision. Like they're going to see it play out down the road. I love that you get your fans and your followers involved in that process. Mm-hmm. A lot of your recipes are sort of trendy to mm-hmm. some extent, right? Like you have okay. four types of avocado toast okay. and things. Do you think How avocado you... toast is trendy? Well, it's having its moment. Okay. But so my question is how do you sort of balance embracing those trends which i think are really important with using your culinary background to yeah. 
bring the right flavors together and build recipes that will stand the test of time. I would say with the exception of avocado toast, yeah. I'm pretty anti-trends. I hate cupcakes. Okay. Like when oh, cupcakes, cupcakes are trendy too? Well, they were. They like, were, and yeah. They, that's true. I'll just never eat another cupcake again in <laughs> yeah, my life. Right. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> there are some things that are trendy right now, like an avocado rose. You'll never yeah. see me make an avocado rose. It's like I'm morally opposed to it. Right. No one eats avocado like that. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. And I think it's important to make recipes that are going to be timeless. Like they'll be able to be used forever. You're not going to like sweet potato toast or whatever that is. Like that's not going to be in my book. That's silly. Sure. I just don't believe in that. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of avocados, your first book was entirely on avocados. Yes. Um, how was that process working with a single ingredient like avocados? Well, the whole book was a joke. Like, it was a joke to begin with. I can't believe it actually <laughs> happened. There was an editor, and he was like, I'm trying to figure out who the next, you know, what the next generation of people are going to write books about. What right. would you write a book about? And I was to- I was known as the girl obsessed with guacamole in the food blogging world. And I was joking. I was like, obviously, I'd write all about avocados. And he's like, that's great. And he called my agent, and he bought it the next week. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and you're like, I have <laughs> I a I've 80 recipes about <laughs> avocados. And it was really hard. Yeah. Um, my husband, I mean, we do love avocados, and I still eat one a day. But when I was done testing that book, I took a couple months off. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. It was a lot. My husband developed an avocado allergy for – it was really? temporary. We wouldn't have gotten married if it was permanent, but it <laughs> went breaker. away. Yeah. That's grounds for divorce. <laughs> yeah, fair. You are well known for your love of avocados for and sure. for your love of guacamole. You have a really um, popular, famous guacamole recipe. And you talk about in the header of uh, um, the guacamole recipe in the cookbook that you are not into all of these other things. Like, you yeah. know, the broccoli and the peas, which not. was a couple years ago with Obama no wanting peas in there. Obama wanted peas Ob- in his guacamole? Right? I if think Obama, Obama wants it, peas. I'm on board. Yeah, he like, he endorsed, he like tweeted something. Wait, this was this a couple was years ago. this was the Melissa Clark thing, I thought. Didn't yeah, she put I thought the peas he, in the guac? And I thought Obama, maybe I'm totally wrong here, no. but I thought Obama like weighed in somehow. Maybe it wasn't peas, but he like wanted something in there. Well, for the record, I have heard that Obama's favorite food is guacamole. Really? Yeah. And I would pretty much do anything to make him guacamole. Yeah. So like if he wants peas or broccoli in his guacamole, I will do that for him. Noted. If, <laughs> if you are listening, Barack Obama, to the Salt and Swine podcast, <laughs> Gabi will make you guacamole Anytime any day. he wants. <laughs> um, but then recently we had this sort of mini guacamole scandal again a couple of months ago with That's Anthony right. from Queer Eye. Oh, who put, yes. what was it? It was Greek um, yogurt, Greek yogurt mm. in his guacamole. Mm-hmm. Is that a no for you too? It's, it's a no. Yeah. It's a no. However, if you wanted to put a little sour cream in your guacamole, I'm not going to judge you. Interesting. Because it would be really nice and creamy. But I think yogurt, Greek yogurt to me is so much tangier than sour cream. Yeah. I don't want that on my chip. Interesting. I want that in a parfait. That's that's the line for you. <laughs> sour line. cream, okay. But yeah. like, I would be willing to have a guacamole competition with Anthony. Yeah. Well, okay, here we go. Anthony, <laughs> if you are listening, <laughs> we've got we've got a lot of great listeners. Let me tell you. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Gabby Dalkin, food blogger and author of What's Gabby Cooking? Everyday California Food. Now, I did want to correct a factual error, uh, really a lapse of memory in our conversation on my part on the topic of Barack Obama and guacamole. So for the record, President Barack Obama does not like peas, the vegetable, in his guacamole. 
He shot down the idea when the New York Times' Melissa Clark included them in a recipe. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen, the recreational cooking school in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. Now, we love the Civic Kitchen's open, airy, welcoming space. It's really perfect for taking classes on different techniques and learning from their expert teachers. Personally, of course, I love their wonderfully curated cookbook collection, which is the backdrop of all Salt and Spine episodes. Don't miss some of their upcoming classes on topics like Cooking Basics for Teens and Modern Jewish New Year. You can find a list of all the Civic Kitchen's classes and sign up at civickitchensf.com. Now back to our conversation with Gabby Dalkin. So what cookbooks do you turn to for inspiration? As you're putting this together, are there cookbook authors or specific works that really influenced you? Yeah, I love the Flavor Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, Odo Lange's cookbooks are not even remotely in my wheelhouse. Like He's a much more intricate chef than I am, but I think he is incredible at what he does. Again, not really in my lane, but I love Chrissy Teigen's cookbook because yeah. it's so playful and approachable. Right. Um, and I think that's how food should be. I'm trying to think of what other books... I'm looking at this beautiful wall of cookbooks and seeing what else is up here. For all of our listeners, if you don't know, we record in front of this beautiful cookbook wall at the Civic Kitchen. And it's I always want to just like take insane. people around with a microphone and tell me everything you yeah. think when you look at all these works. It's, be- I mean, it's really the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. Those are, those are, oh, was it Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. Is that, no, that's an Odalangi book, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. No, Istanbul. The uh, new Istanbul yeah. cookbook that came out last fall is everything. Yeah. Um, and I get a lot of inspiration from traveling. So I like books that touch on different countries and cultures. Going back to our conversation on food blogs mm-hmm. and being able to trust the sources that you're getting your recipes from, do you think sort of the proliferation of food blogs has influenced the cookbook world in a significant way? Yeah. How not, so? Not really positively. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think a lot of people just get books now because they have a big following online, whether they've garnered that through Pinterest or Instagram or whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing about blogging. Like not everybody should have a blog and probably not everyone needs to write a book. Like it's a bright. I think people want to write a cookbook. I know when I started a blog, all I wanted was to write a cookbook and have a food network show. Uh That's all I wanted. And I didn't need, I didn't know a thing about writing recipes when I started or a thing about being on camera. And I realized I was so incredibly underqualified to do that for the first four years of my career. You know, I, I'm glad I didn't back then. Like, I wouldn't have put out a book that I could have been proud of. So I, I don't know. I just think cookbooks are expensive and you want to be able to buy one that you can really trust. And I think it's it's harder now to know which ones you can trust. Yeah. So negative. No, I think you're realistic. <laughs> okay, that's a better word. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> it's not negative. It's honest. Yeah. And like there are a lot of books out there that, you know, the my book, I would say 90% of the recipes are brand new. Like none uh-huh. of, they're not on my blogs. There are a couple of blog favorites on there, but a lot of people just publish recipes that are on their blogs, which right. doesn't really warrant a cookbook. Um, so, you know, it's just, you got to be as a buyer, like you just have to be really aware and careful about what you're, what you're purchasing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite recipe in the book or, or maybe not a fa- favorite, a, a loaded term, but do you have like a recipe if someone picks up your book, start here? Well, I have, there's like a secret what's got to be cooking Facebook group when everyone's uh, making everything through the yeah. book and the chicken larb rice bowls yeah. are having a moment. Okay. And they're, it's a, it's a bed of coconut rice. So just regular jasmine rice cooked in coconut milk with a really simple chicken larb mixture with sauteed kale in it. Mm. And it is so good and you feel 
Like, I feel like I'm at my favorite Thai restaurant in LA, Jitlada, without having to buy like 800 ingredients. That's currently making me very happy. Yeah. Yeah. This secret Facebook group, is this yeah. the cookbook club? No. no. So cookbook club. You have a club, cookbook club too. Yeah. Cookbook yeah. club is just on the blog uh-huh. and it's a different cookbook every month. Right. We did Istanbul a few months ago. Facebook's algorithm sucks so hard. Right. And so we started a Facebook group that is just for people who want to come and talk about my recipes or if they don't have the right pan, like can they talk with other people who don't have the right pan and what did they use and it's kind of like a forum and just a discussion so people talk about the book in there they talk about other things in there they talk about where they get you know if there's a deal on KitchenAid mixers you know right. it's just very food focused yeah. yeah where did the idea for the cookbook club come from um, everyone always everyone in LA does book clubs uh-huh. and I was like this sucks let's do something <laughs> where we can eat like I right. don't want to just drink and talk about a book like, right. and and the, the idea behind cookbook club is how often do you get a cookbook and you actually cook more than one recipe from it or you get to eat more than one recipe from it? Like yeah. when I get a book, I make like one thing, if that, and then I throw it in my bookcase and I won't see it again for months. So cookbook club, you get, you know, 80 of your friends together. Everyone makes a different recipe and you have this big potluck style dinner party and you get to eat your way through a little bit of a book. And I feel like that's a fun way to bring people together, experience a new book, support an author. And right. like have a good night. So you're actually bringing people together in person. Yeah. 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 Not I mean, just online. we do it. We do it. So, oh yeah, that's a good point. So we do it on the blog. Uh-huh. Um, and people do it. They host their own personal cookbook clubs in their own kitchen with their friends. Sure. So we started it on like in real life. And then I brought it onto the blog because I was like, this is such a great idea. I think everybody should have cookbook clubs. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. That's awesome. We should have a salt and spine cookbook you club. You should. Actually, now that I'm thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, if you could only make one meal, what would it be? Cacio e pepe. Mm. Yeah. That's a good choice. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. I you thought I was going to say avocado toast. <laughs> I, I I definitely <laughs> thought there'd be avocado in there. <laughs> I would say, I, I like, again, I was a carb from zero right. to 18. Well, yeah, so I, I would like roots. to go out as a carb as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, one of the things I love about your blog and sort of your broader brand, too, is you really, I think, do a great job of showing your fans sort of the behind the scenes. Um, so you mentioned Matt, your photographer. Mm-hmm. You're always traveling with him. You're always yes. with him on your Instagram stories yeah used to be on snapchat not anymore um your husband can we also plug your husband's instagram because i love your husband's instagram thomas eating yes which is an (laughs) amazing name (laughs) he is having a really great time making fun of me he he (laughs) does make fun of you i noticed it's all the whole point he just wants to show everyone that it's not always beautiful heirloom tomato tarts and cheese boards and that sometimes i eat hummus in bed and like binge watch bravo tv (laughs) right but i love it it's very real and i think it's a super cool concept to sort of um counter the what's got be cooking with the what's thomas eating i think people really love the behind the scenes like we i think we're living in a world where instagram is so beautiful and so curated and people feel like their lives like my life doesn't always look like that yeah so that's what what's thomas eating is all about like it's real like yeah we eat a lot of beautiful cheese boards and guacamole and i go to nice places but it's not and and these fashion bloggers like sometimes they wear sweatpants like they're not always super like chic and put together with like a full glam squad yeah so i think it's really important to show people that behind the scenes aspect of it so it feels real yeah you know because yeah. otherwise, we just play this compare and contrast game, and that can be a downward spiral. Right. It can be. Yeah. What are you experimenting with now? Are there any, like, 
things that have emerged since the cookbook came out, exciting new ingredients or recipes for you? Oh, great question. Like what's going on on the blog? Yeah, like on the blog or like what's in process? What are you tinkering with now? Well, I've decided I'm only going to grill all summer long. Like I don't want to spend any time inside. And just like we're working on my third product line right now. So Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of recipe development for that this summer. And like I have, I've been traveling on the book tour. So like I've almost missed cherry season in LA. Like I need to be back home ASAP this Sunday. Well, no, next Wednesday, Santa Monica Farmer's Market. I will be the first person there and I'm going to buy all the Rainier cherries. (laughs) Like I don't even care if there are other people coming. I'm going to buy all of them. (laughs) Wait. You might make some enemies. And yeah, and the peonies too. Cherries and peonies. I'm, I'm going to be the hoarder. People are going to hate me. I'll like, I'll sell them twice the price on the side of the road. (laughs) (laughs) You might keep them. They're delicious. Um, Okay, I have one final question. It's a big one. Have you ever grilled avocados? I have, and I think it's awful. You think it's awful? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, okay, so here's the thing. We were in New Orleans, me, Uh Matt, and Adam once, and they we had these charred avocados, and they tasted like ashtrays. Mm. They were disgusting. So I was like, that really ruined it for me. And then... I made them for the book, for my first book, and I didn't like them. Yeah. And I was like, I just don't believe avocados should be heated. People, you know, that do baked eggs in avocados. Right. Super anti that. Like, I, it, there's just a weird texture thing that kind of makes me want to vomit. Yeah. (laughs) So I just don't like hot avocados. (laughs) Fair. Fair. I think, I think that's a great way to end it. It is with with just a an image of vomiting of Gabby vomiting. Hey, keeping it all real. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. Head to our website, saltandspine.com, for exclusive content, including featured recipes from What's Gobby Cooking, Everyday California Food, and to enter our regular cookbook giveaways. If you like hearing from your favorite cookbook authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please remember to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Our program today was produced by Allison Sullivan and myself. Thanks to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen Cooking School team, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. Our original theme song was recorded by Brunch for Lunch. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more summary stories behind the cookbooks you love. 